He is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, today we are, is Easter Saturday for us at Missio Day, and we're really excited about Jesus' resurrection because all of life is about resurrection, whether you know that or not. It's a really, really big deal. And so tonight, we're going to see that as we open up Scripture, and we're also going to hopefully experience it in our own lives. But then we're going to see, as Jeremy just explained, an illustration of that as we baptize people from death into life as an illustration. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And tonight, I have just a very short verse in Scripture, very short, because we have to baptize some people, and we have to eat some ham. And so the, the verse that I have is very, very short. It's, it's, it's Romans chapter 4, verse 25, and it reads simply this. Jesus died for our trespasses and was raised for our justification, period. Very short verse. Do you see that? Jesus died for our sin, and he raised for our justification. And if you're a smart scholar, you can see that that verse could easily be broken up into two points, right? Point one, Jesus died for our sin. Point two, Jesus raised for our justification. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Jesus dying for sin and raised for our justification. We'll baptize, we'll dedicate, we'll eat. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Let's dive in. The first thing we have to ask ourselves is, what is sin? Because it says Jesus died for sin. And some of you may be thinking, that seems like a strange question to ask. That's a silly question for you to ask, Mike. Of course we know what sin is. But I would like to submit that that is a valid question. Because I believe that we live in a world, in a time period, in a place that has basically made that word sin irrelevant. Don't you think? I mean, let's just be honest. Um, our church is called Missio Dei. It means the mission of God. And our vision, we're passionate about reaching into our culture, ministering into our culture. And so as I preach, as I write, as I talk to people out in our culture, I often find myself struggling with how to say the word sin without saying the word sin. Why do I need to do that? <laughs> I, I want to talk to people about trespasses. No, that's not a good word. And I keep wrestling with what can I say because I don't want to use words that are like churchy or Christianese. I want to use words that people can relate to. And I just have a struggle with that. You know it's true. I bet you, you don't throw out the word sin very often at work. You know? You just, you just don't. In the church, we throw it around like it's popcorn and candy. You know, and that might be a sin. I don't know. We throw it around like it's popcorn and candy. But at work, I would submit that at the office, you don't normally say, well, that's a sin. How are you doing with your sin? We just don't use the word sin in the real world. We use it a lot in the church. Don't use it in the real world. So I got to come up with a different word than sin. What is sin? I'll give you another illustration. I have an Apple computer. And on the Apple computer, there's a button you can push. And when you push that button, you can talk to the computer. And the computer will type what you say. Isn't technology amazing? I need this because I'm a horrible speller. And uh, the dictation machine girl, she uh, understands me better than I understand me. You know, she writes the words right. <laughs> I write them wrong. And every single time I say the word sin, I promise you, my computer doesn't know sin. That... May have been a really profound statement. I didn't mean for it to be. My computer doesn't know sin. <laughs> I think it probably does. Um, what I mean that is my computer doesn't know the word sin. It doesn't ever write the word sin. And I've tried it in different dialects, different you know Australian accents. The sin of the Lord, you know, no sin. And it still types in the word send or son. Or if I say the word sinners, it always types in the word centers. <laughs> I was like, what is wrong with this computer? It doesn't know what sin is. And it got me thinking, if my computer doesn't know what sin is, maybe the culture doesn't either. Maybe the culture doesn't know what sin is. Because you see, what I did just then was I was saying that, my computer typed in, instead of what sin is, typed in what sin is. 
I thought I'd go ahead and tell you that. <laughs> so I thought maybe I should look this up in a really cool, trendy, postmodern, relevant dictionary and find out how that dictionary defines sin to see if they even know what it is. And what could be more relevant and trendy and postmodern than Wikipedia? Amen? <laughs> so here's what Wikipedia says about the word sin. And, and you'll be interested to know, you can Google it on your phone right now and follow along if you'd like. Um, they, they, will, they will give a list of world religions. And here's the first world religion, Baha'i. In the Baha'i faith, they believe that humans are considered naturally good, even perfect. But the human heart is like a mirror, which if it's turned away from the light of the sun or God, it is incapable of receiving God's love. So God just is going to give us love because we're perfect. But we have opportunity to, you could say sin, even though they would never say sin. You could sin by turning your heart away from God and not receiving his love. And then you don't receive his love. That's interesting. Buddhism does not recognize the idea behind sin. You'll never hear the word sin in a Buddhist camp. But they believe in the principle of karma, don't they? Whereby suffering is the inevitable consequence of greed, anger, and delusion, which they don't call sin. They call it the three poisons. <laughs> I bet you my Mac computer knows how to say poisons, you know? So they still have this karma thing that if you do bad things, bad things will happen to you, consequences. Hinduism is very similar. The term sin is pepa, I believe that's how you pronounce it, in the Sanskrit. It is often used to describe actions that create negative karma, there it is again, by violating moral and ethical codes, which they call the dharma, which automatically brings, again, negative consequences. So you make bad choices, you break the karma, you break the dharma, the moral code, then karma is going to get you. <laughs> Islam. Muslims see sin very simply as anything that goes against the commands of Allah. Very clearly. You break, you break the commands of Allah, sin. They're, they're not afraid of the word sin. <laughs> Judaism. They believe that the violation of any of the 613 commandments in the Bible is a sin. And you've committed at least three of them just now. <laughs> Look at Christianity. I think this is interesting the way Wikipedia des des describes sin in Christianity. Sin has damaged and completely severed the relationship of humanity to God. And that relationship can only be restored through acceptance of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for humanity's sin. By golly, that will preach, don't you think? <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. So I want you to notice this. In every single one of these major world religions, even the ones who claim not to buy into the whole sin concept... They have something that looks like sin, don't they? They have something that's morality, purity, holiness, and if you turn away from it or make bad choices, karma's gonna get you, consequences are gonna get you, Allah's gonna get you, you know, someone's gonna get you. So every world religion, I want you to see this, every world religion has sin inside of it, and at its root, it has this directive that you need to, here it comes, try harder and do better, and be gooder, or else karma's going to get you or something's going to get you. But notice this. Please notice this. Christianity is the only religion that doesn't say you need to try harder and do better and be gooder, but instead it says, how about we provide a substitute to die for your sin so that you can have everlasting life and a relationship with God. You don't have to try harder so you don't have bad karma. All you have to do is accept Jesus for your substitutionary sacrifice for your sins. Do you see that? Someone say amen. amen. Because that is good news. Every world religion understands what sin is, but only Christianity has a solution to it. And it's God dying for it. So that's what 
the passage just told us, right? Jesus died for our sins. And we call that in Christianity good news. Good news. Oh, the, another way of saying it is the gospel. Gospel just literally means good news. And I need you to know this, that good news is news. That's good. <laughs> it's news. It's not something that you need to do. It's not a set of rules. It's not a program. It's news about something that has already happened. Isn't that what news is? News is news, right? News is about something that happened in history. It happened back there. And now we're telling you about it. It's not something that you have to do in the future. It's something that he already did back in the past. Jesus died for sin. That's good news. I'd like to submit on the second part of this verse. See, we're moving right along. Second part of this verse, Jesus was raised for our justification. On this Easter Saturday, I would like to submit that that's even better news than Jesus dying for sin. Do you want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Why do Christians get all giddy at Easter? Dress up, wear bonnets, and say, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Why do we get all excited about it? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to going to show you why. Let me go back to those world religions again. Remember I mentioned all those world religions? Every single other religion in the world has a memorial. Let me explain to you what I mean. You've probably seen a memorial. Uh, you drive down the highway. You see that cross on the street with the flowers around it, maybe the pictures. That means that someone has died there. And what they loved ones have done if they put a memorial right there. To remember, this is where you know, my loved one passed. That's called a memorial. And every other religion in the world has a memorial. For instance, um, Buddhism has a memorial. Uh, we know where Buddha is buried. He's buried in India. And at his burial site, there is a ginormous shrine to Buddha. And still today, the followers of Buddhism will go there on a pilgrimage to honor or pay respects or light incense or whatever it is that they do at that shrine. It's in India. The, 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 the founder of Christian, not Christian, excuse me, the founder of Judaism is pointed back to Abraham. He's our father, Abraham, Father Abraham. We know where Abraham is, is buried. He's buried in Hebron. And still to this day, there is a memorial site where Abraham was buried, and Jews will make a pilgrimage there to pay honor and to memorialize Father Abraham. The same thing's true for um, Islam. Um, Muhammad, their founder, is buried in Medina. We know where he's buried. There is a memorial there for him. And again, the followers of Muhammad will go there and memorialize him and respect him and honor him and even mourn his death. But Christianity, uh, we don't know where Jesus is buried. <laughs> Can I just tell you? Because he's not buried. <laughs> he's not dead. <laughs> He's alive. Someone say amen. amen. He's alive. He's not buried. There is no burial place. There is no memorial. You and I aren't going to make a pilgrimage to go pay honor and respect to a dead man. He's alive. That's why we get excited because he is alive. Now, we did know where he was buried. Joseph of Arimathea bought a tomb, put him in it, and rolled. So he knew where the tomb was. The Roman government knew exactly where they buried Jesus because they put centurions right there in front of him in case there was some sort of religious insurrection. Even Jesus' disciples knew, right? The Mary and Martha, they went to anoint his body on Sunday morning, Easter morning. They knew where he was buried, but guess what? He's not there. He's not there. He's alive, and that's why we get excited at 
Easter. But can I just tell you this? It's great that he died for our sins, and it's even greater and cool, if you ask me, that he's not dead, that he's alive, that we have a God that's alive. But it's even cooler as to why he rose again. Not just that he rose, but why he rose. And it tells us here, Jesus raised for our justification. Okay, so I've already told you, I don't like to use churchy words. <laughs> that's a big churchy word, isn't it? Matter of fact, that's a, that's a big, heavy, theological word. They write books about justification. So I, I need to use a different word, don't I? What kind of different word can I use um, so that we don't leave it there and get stuck? Well, I like the way the Amplified Bible says it. The Amplified Bible says he was raised to secure our acquittal. So the Amplified Bible uses the word acquittal. What's an acquittal? I think we know what an acquittal is. Um, but, but I'll just tell you what Webster Dictionary defines acquittal as the act of deciding that a person is not guilty of a crime. Now, I, I, I think that in America, we might not really know what justification is, but we for sure know what an acquittal is. Because for us, Americans, court, trials, well, that's entertainment, isn't it? You could sit at home on your couch and watch a court trial. And so we watch court trials from home. I, I've watched them from home, and it's entertaining. And we, Americans, have been blown away over and over and over again by acquittals, famous acquittals. I bet you could think of one or two. O.J., someone said O.J.? O.J. Simpson. Remember O.J. Simpson? Famous. Um, he was in trial forever, it felt like, <laughs> wearing gloves, driving cars, all kinds of things. And then guess what? Acquitted for murdering his ex-wife. Maybe you remember this name, Lorena Bobbitt. Remember her? Yeah. Well, how do you say it? Lorena. Yeah. I, she did something um, horrible to her husband, irreversible to her husband. That's as far as I'm going to go with that. And um, she was acquitted. Acquitted. Or maybe you, some of you in the room might know R. Kelly, famous rapper R. Kelly. He was acquitted um, with uh, tons of evidence against him for statutory rape, but he got off. He was acquitted. Uh, perhaps the most recent one, um, just in 2012, was George Zimmerman against uh, Trayvon Martin. I, I actually watched that one, or most of it, on TV. And um, again, George Zimmerman was acquitted for the murder of, of Trayvon Martin. So I want you to hear this. Every single one of those people, famous um, trials, um, OJ, uh, Lorena, R, I don't know his first name, I say R, uh, George, <laughs> every single one of them acquitted, which means they were decidedly not guilty. Every single one of them. Now, it doesn't mean that they weren't guilty. In fact, I think most of America thought they were guilty. <laughs> It just means that the, according to criminal law, they were not guilty. Not guilty according to criminal law. Most everyone else thought they were guilty. That's why they were famous, shocking um, trials. Now, if we take our attention and we put it back on the word justification, um, it's the same exact thing. You're a famous trial, and you have been declared not guilty. But you're not innocent. I mean, surely you know that, right? You know you're not innocent. I mean, for goodness sake, I bet you there's enough evidence to prove that you're guilty. But what justification means is that you've been declared not guilty, even though you surely are guilty. And again, that's good news, is it not? What would life be like if you were OJ on trial for 20 years, and then you get declared not guilty? Now you're free. Whew. So glad that's over with. Now I get to live. 
You get to live your life. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose so that you could be declared not guilty. And now you're free, free to live. Isn't that good? It's awesome. That's why we get excited about resurrection. Listen, Christians hang on this verse right here. Because Jesus rose from the dead, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That means there's no judgment for those who are in Jesus. There's no punishment for those who are in Jesus. There's no accusation against anyone who belongs in Jesus. There's no way that anyone or, or Satan or God or anyone can condemn you if you are in Christ Jesus because you have been declared not guilty. And in heaven, just like in America, there's, double, there's no double jeopardy, right? You cannot, be decla- you cannot be tried again. You are declared not guilty. That's good news, isn't it? That's it. Okay, so Jesus died for sin. He rose for justification. Simple, pretty good, good stuff. How is that going to change our lives, though, today? I just want to conclude real quickly by drawing our attention to the verse again. And I want to I draw our attention to two tiny little words, teeny tiny little words. Um, but I want you to notice that the, those two tiny little words appeared twice in this short little verse. And those two teeny tiny little words are the word, or one teeny tiny little word, is R. Do you see that? That Jesus died for our sin, and Jesus died for our justification. You know what that means? That means that as Christians, we don't gather on Easter to ha- celebrate the resurrection of Jesus that happened 2,000 of years ago in a place called Jerusalem that you and I have never been. It means that Jesus resurrected then so that we could die to sin today and resurrect to new life today. You see, we're not just celebrating Jesus' resurrection, although that is certainly what we're celebrating, but we're also celebrating our resurrection. And I'd like to ask you, how are you being resurrected? Because I mentioned before, all of life, all of it is resurrection. It really is. In fact, famous French philosopher by the name of Voltaire said, everything in nature is resurrection. And don't you see that? We're we're actually experiencing it right now because this place has been dead for far too long. Amen. It's been dead and buried under a blanket of death called snow and salt, and ice. But right now, do you see? All of nature is resurrection. The death is gone, and grass is growing, and tulips are coming up, and I cannot wait till Monday I get to mow my lawn. I really can't. I'm even excited about the weeds. I'm going to spray them. You know what I mean? I'm excited about life and spring and the sun. So is anyone excited like I'm excited? Oh, my goodness. I'm so sick of winter and death. All of life and nature is resurrection. Things die and they cycle back to life. In fact, Martin Luther, the early reformer, said, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. That means in the fall, when the leaves fall off the tree, they die. And then the blanket of snow and death and ice and and salt buries it. And then in spring, guess what? The tree produces new leaves. It's the cycle of life. Death comes before life, not the other way around. It's always that way. Death comes first, then life. That's why I love the most classic piece of literature of our time called Fight Club. Which says, only after disaster can we be resurrected. It's only after death can we experience life. That's the cycle of life. So I'm asking you today, 
Your life is not about doing gooder and trying harder and being better. It's about allowing Jesus to die for your sins so that you can be resurrected with Christ into new life. But that thing happens not just once a year on Easter or not just once in a lifetime on Calvary. It actually happens every single day. How many of you can say amen to that? The older I get, the more I realize that it happens every day. A little piece of me dies every day. (laughs) Just going to be honest. (laughs) But then there's also life that comes up. All kinds of new life. And it's good that that stuff dies, isn't it? And it's good that life comes up. Here's one of my favorite authors. Listen to what he said. We are raised and reconciled and restored to God, not because we are thrifty, brave, clean, or reverent, but because we are dead. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. Because Jesus, you see, has this absolute thing about raising the dead. In the Gospels, he never meets a corpse that doesn't sit right up. It's true. So what that means for us is that you can fold spiritually, you can fold morally, you can fold intellectually, and still you'll be safe. Because at the very worst, all that you can be is dead. Listen to that. At the very worst, no matter how many failures you have, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how much sin you've carrying around in your bucket, at the worst you can be is dead. And for Jesus who's the resurrection and the life, that just makes you his cup of tea. He likes dead people. He's he's comfortable with death. He's conquered death. And he rose for our justification. So all of life is death and resurrection. And here's one more verse, and then we'll close. Paul says, We are buried with Christ by baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might rise to the newness of of life and walk in a new life. The old is gone, the new has come. So you see, it's not about following a set of rules, doing gooder, trying harder. It's about what Jesus did. He died so he can make all things new inside of you that you might die and you might rise with Christ. That's why we sing that song, I will rise. And I don't know the rest of the words, but I like the tune very much, right? I will rise. We'll sing it again probably so you get to look at those words. So Before we end, um, what we do here at Missio Day is we're really passionate about community, Uh, Christ, community, and culture. Obviously, Christ, we love Jesus. Uh, And culture, I mentioned before, we want to reach into our culture, but community is the heart of all that we do. And that's why we sit in these round tables, because we want to foster real intimacy and real uncommon community. So what I'd like to do right now is I'm going to throw a question out there. And um, I'd like for you to discuss that question in your table. And, and, and don't worry, uh, we're not going to discuss what you discussed, okay? So I won't even listen. You guys can just turn in and kind of discuss to um, each other. And then in about three minutes, I'll wrap us up and we'll begin to pray. Um, so here's the question. Are you still living in a way that is dead rather than resurrected to new life? Think about that. I'm telling you that Easter is ours, Jesus died for our sin and resurrected for our justification, and we die and we rise. It's ours. And I'm asking, have you received the resurrection, or are there still things in your life that are killing you? So here's the question. How are you still living in a way that is dead rather than to resurrected to new life? So that could be sin that you're clinging to, a self-image that's holding you back, fear. God's called you to do something, but you don't feel like you're good enough to do it. All kinds of answers to that question. How are you living 
in a way that is dead rather than resurrected to new life? Let's take three minutes and, and discuss that question. I want to conclude just one more minute. I want, to, I want to draw our attention again to those two words or that one word, are. Because another angle that I could throw at you for this word are is that Jesus died for our sin and he died for our resurrection. And that means that he didn't just die for you, but he died for our. He died for us, which means that we cannot take just the resurrection for ourselves. It has to be shared in a community of our and us. And so see, another thing at Missio Day, we're passionate here about community, Christ, community, and culture. And we strive for that to have this uncommon, we call it, biblical kind of community where we know each other and we like each other and we, we, we pray for each other and we witness this death and resurrection in each other's lives and we encourage it and we, and we exhibit gospel-centered lives together in a community. I see you dying right now and I want to pray for you and I want to see God resurrect in your life and then I want to rejoice in it. In fact, we are even going to do that right now. If I could maybe even speak to uh, Missio Day members, we're going to do that right now as we watch death and resurrection happen through baptism and even in dedicating our children. Because as we dedicate our children, we are saying, as a community we're gathering around, to again witness some little deaths and some little resurrections every single hour of those little kids' lives, right? All the time we're seeing little bitty deaths, we're you know, dying unto this and rising again to that because all of life is resurrection. So my last thing that I want to encourage everyone here, whether you are just visiting tonight and you have another church home, Christianity, we truly believe this. Jesus said it, that he wants us to be in a community together. He wants us to, the word church literally means a community of people. And so Jesus died for our sins and our resurrection. And you can't really experience that by yourself. You need to experience it in community. Amen? So at this point, what we're going to do is we're going to sing one more song. And while we do that, um, there are about seven children being dedicated today. And I would ask that those children and those two parents come forward on the, on the front of the stage. And the rest of you can just get your hearts excited about your grandkids coming up here, okay? So let's sing and worship Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you gave your son, that he died for sin and rose for our justification. And we get to be free, set free. We're not guilty. We've been given life because of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that what else can we do with that life? You've set us free. We're not guilty. May we live, and may we live full lives and resurrected lives every single day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.